Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I'm suggesting that hope is not happy all the time. Hope is honest all the time. And so sorrow is often the very place where you'll find hope. (laughs) Counter to your thoughts and ideas that you think you've been avoiding this like authentic place of lament or sorrow because you think it's hopeless. I'm saying the very opposite is true. That's actually where I glimpsed God at work and it surprised me. It's taken my breath away, but it's also endowed me with this like deep firm belief that we can be hopeful even in uh, hard places. Mm, Such a powerful message, something that many of us may have a hard time actually comprehending. We're joined today by Danielle Strickland. She is a speaker, an activist, and an author. Her latest book is The Other Side of Hope. Today on Connections, she's going to share with us how we can overcome the twin giants of cynicism and despair that threaten to derail our emotional and physical health. She'll also talk about that new book and how we can find hope in a desperately harsh world. We're joined today by someone who's well-known here in Canada. Her name is Danielle Strickland. She is a speaker, an activist, and an author, as well as a podcaster. Your latest book, speaking of being an author, is The Other Side of Hope. When you say The Other Side of Hope, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean that often what we want hope to be is a glorious display, kind of like a piece of art that we marvel at. And often for that to happen, we need to flip over that glorious display and see a framework on the other side that's ordinary but solid enough um, to display hope to the world. Where did the inspiration for this book come from? You just kind of mentioned a little bit uh, about the flip side of things. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I was uh, years ago uh, visiting an art gallery with a friend of mine who's an artist. And we had driven about an hour and a half out of our way to get to specific artists she wanted to see. And when we got there, the curator of the art gallery had decided to do this thing called the flip side. And what he had done is he had taken every piece of art in the entire museum and had flipped it over. So as you went through, no matter who your artist was, all you saw was the backside of their art. Now, my artist friend was furious. I mean, infuriated because she had driven all that way to see her favorite artist. But I was intrigued because it did not matter how gifted the artist was. The backside, the other side, the flip side of their art was this very ordinary framework. Uh, It's the same almost framework that my son could have, you know, uh, drawn it on. And it really occurred to me that the the parts of people don't see about how we live our lives, our belief systems, our framework for living is really what creates capacity for art to be seen. Or in this case, I think hope is more like art than it is anything else. I like that because think of like Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, right? It's our gallery, right? Mm -hmm. We often hear like it's a highlight reel and you show everybody these nice pieces of our life, but you flip it around and huh? We're just like everybody else, laundry piled on our couch in the living room right now and didn't sleep last night because the kids were bad. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think um, that ordinariness uh, as a culture, we've despised, you know, we bought into in the book. I talk about this Herculean myth that we've all bought into that in order for us to be successful or great, we have to be ascending all the time, kind of proving our worth proving that we're different from or better from anybody else. And there's something about recapturing the beauty of the ordinary, uh, even of our own humanity, that can liberate us from this like constant need to prove or to please people. So when you talk about 
hope what is hope for you uh yeah how would you describe that to people and what do you deal with in regards to hope in the book so hope is this rugged determined belief that god is at work in this world um and i think that is counter to this idea that people have believed for a long time including myself sometimes that hope is happy so i think we've confused hope with happiness and we've confused hope with like optimism thinking happy thoughts about the future. And I think also we've confused sorrow with despair. Mm. So when we enter into these seasons, a lot of us are facing together this pandemic and the ramifications of the strain of that on our economics and our relationships and our circumstances. We think that actually feeling bad or telling the truth or getting honest about our pain is despair. When really what that is is sorrow. And it's genuine and it's authentic. And because we think hope is happy, we feel like this place, we're sort of untethered to hope. We feel like, oh, this is a despairing place and there's no way out. But I'm suggesting that hope is not happy all the time. Hope is honest all the time. And so sorrow is often the very place where you'll find hope. (laughs) Counter to your thoughts and ideas that you think you've been avoiding this like authentic place of lament or sorrow because you think it's hopeless. I'm saying the very opposite is true. That's actually where I glimpsed God at work and it surprised me. It's taken my breath away, but it's also endowed me with this like deep firm belief that we can be hopeful even in uh, hard places. Tell us a little bit more about what you discovered about your own self while discovering what you just said there. Yeah, I mean, so this is both directions, right? It's internal, where we avoid those authentic places inside of us, where we need to get to work and do some work and authentic work and some sorrow, some lamenting over our own life. So for me, I share some of my own journey of this in the book uh, more vulnerably than I ever have before. My own background, addiction, my own background of uh, sexual abuse as a child And the way I think uh, a theology of despair, so a Christian upbringing, but that kind of made me feel bad about myself, those sort of combination of despair with inside of me that I would just kind of cover up with some really good Christian lingo um, and decent sort of Instagram-y pictures of my life. But inside was the sorrowful place that needed to be uh, dealt with, that needed to be honest. And then I'd say externally, I've done a lot of work with folks in seemingly despairing circumstances. So a lot of work with trafficking victims around the world, a lot of work with folks who are suffering from addiction and poverty. And that was externally even the same was true of the internal journey, that the more authentic I was, the more likely I was to spot God at work, uh, to get out of the way to let God do his his work. I really like that thought like you'd mentioned just a few moments ago about we work so hard to avoid uh well you said lament i think specifically right and right away i went to lamentations chapter three then assuming jeremiah wrote it like he talks about like i know what it's like for to be punished by god he's bound me i've been torn open right but then all of a sudden he switches to the lord's unfailing love and mercy never ends right and assures the sun rises uh God is there and at work and all my hope is in him. So, yeah, like you said, there's some really profound um, spiritual formation, I guess, that can come in those moments of lament. 
Yeah. And this, I mean, this is Jeremiah literally or Lamentations literally like this. I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great mercy. We're not consumed. Right. So, I mean, how do you get there? Right. <laughs> how do you get exactly. to the place where because of the Lord's great mercy, we're not consumed unless you're in the place where you feel like you're being completely consumed. And I think that's that, you know, so part of my invitation in the book is to not be afraid, uh, not be afraid of all those things that you thought were going to bring despair to your life. And just to be to relax into the relentless authenticity of God's presence. This is like David when he says, you know, now I know. I can't go anywhere and not find you like I can go. I can go to the highest heights so I don't have to be afraid of success. I can go to, you know, the farthest reaches of the world outside of my own uh, comfort zone and I can go down to the depths and I can even make my bed there. I could be in the you know throes of depression and even there you'll be there. And it's discovering that presence. Uh, and, and that's another thing about hope. I think sometimes we've made hope a principle that we want to take and put into our lives Instead of realizing that hope is a person who's the living presence. Yeah. Um, and that's a different thing. It's a different thing. You talk a lot uh, about cynicism and despair in this book. Would you say those are the two biggest threats to hope? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think they're like, I mean, I don't know if you guys find this in your own life, but they're certainly uh, kind of twin enemies that blot out the sun in my life often. And in these days specifically, I feel like the invitation to cynicism and despair is increasingly big. Um, What I suggest is that cynicism is a loss of faith in others. uh, And I think deeply rooted to a loss of faith in ourselves. So I think there's this uh, loss of faith in which some of that is just honest. There has been a great loss of faith in people. They've let us down. But also, I think there is this loss of faith in our own selves. And then that's back to that ordinary. We're trying to be somebody we're not We're trying to prove we're greater than we're trying to prove instead of settling in with this like I am who God says I am and being OK with who we are as humans. And then despair is just where the road goes. Despair is the loss of faith in everything else. And uh, I was talking to like 18 to 25 year olds, a couple hundred of them training them for a thing the other day. And I said, what are the challenges you know, ask them a question, what are the challenges facing your generation? And a guy put up his hand at the back and I said, yeah. And he said, a complete um, loss of public trust. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that is literally the definition of cynicism and despair, a complete loss of public trust. Now, hope is not going, everything's going to be okay. And being optimistic and saying like, that's not, that's not the answer. Hope is actually in that loss of trust, finding out who you are, where God is at work, and how we can work together to change things. We see that play out a lot, right? People losing hope, scandals and stuff, right? And everybody's hope. It's like they lose their hope. Well, everything that this person has said about God can't be true then, right? And well, no, that's not the case. This person stumbled, but God's still at work. Yeah, and that's that, you know, what is your hope in? Yeah, and that's that. That's what's I think in in many ways, even political systems, or like you talk about uh, countries, or you talk about uh, church institutions, whatever the the case may be. The the question in our time is, you know, where do we get hope? Where do we find hope? What is our hope in? Because we these things are not going to be enough. Uh, these things are not going to be able to do it. 
And this is, again, just this radical return to this idea of hope as God at work in the world and changing our perspective to see God, to hunt for God, to look for God, even in our own lives. And when we do that, I think there is this like hope is an eternal quality of God. It's what makes it so potent. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Obviously, I wrote this book, but like because hope has an eternal quality to it. So this is where, you know, everything will pass away, Paul says, right, except three things. Faith, hope, and love, which is what I call the trifecta of eternal change. Faith, hope, and love. So hope is one of the qualities of eternity. It's so what that's I think why when people catch it or see it or touch it or feel it, it's so potent. You know, absolutely so potent because it's actually touching uh the eternal quality of God. How do we shift our mindset to that? It just seems so simple, but for many it's gonna be challenging to shift that mindset. Yeah, I think there's a couple things uh, that are just like really practical things. One is just that hope is honest. So to not be afraid to get really radically honest about who you are and what you thought. And, you know, I challenge some of the ways we've thought about God um, as sort of this perpetually disappointed one. But really receiving the radical acceptance and love of God is a, probably a first step. The, the other thing I found is that whenever I spectate, I... I'm prone to cynical thinking. But whenever I participate, I usually get hopeful. So this has just been a very fine. And I think this has to do with hope being alive and not static. So whenever I'm spectating from the sidelines, I talk about this in my book, even like, let's say it's an NGO. And from the sidelines, I'm like, you know, what are their margins of like administrative costs? And like, how much of that money really goes to the poor? And, you know, I'll go on and on about this. Like, But then I like volunteer at a food bank and I work with a refugee who's actually working with that NGO and I'm participating in the process of her getting liberated in all the different ways. And I am so hopeful about that work. And this is one of the things that really interesting when you talk to some of the advocates that are most engaged in some of the hardest issues around the world. One of the things that you will describe them as is hopeful. And I always found that so fascinating. How could you be hopeful when you got a front row seat to some of the most despairing things in the world? And it's because they're involved. It's because they're not spectating. They're participating. So sometimes it's just a matter of getting into out of spectating and into participating. Yeah. Yeah. You often hear like, I don't know, there's certain, um, you know, well-known Christian programs that run, especially around Christmas. I don't want to name any names or anything. Right. But especially (laughs) the last few years, I've heard like. This doesn't actually help anybody. It's wasteful, blah, blah, blah. But then in my job of broadcasting for 20 years now, I've met several people who were children who received those items when they were kids 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And I've heard how it completely changed the trajectory of their life. So I'm like, wow, I get the cynicism, but I've seen the hope play out in front of me. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's there's always going to be tension. And, you know, I'm an advocate, so I am not yeah. actually at all interested in sort of polyamming everything. Like I, I want to tell the truth. I want to give advice. I want to keep learning so that we don't do the same thing for, you know, ever. I want to keep adapting. And I think those are really important things. But I think we even do advocacy different when we're participating. Nice. And I just I think there's a so it's not a chance in which we're not going to change anything or challenge things that aren't working. We're just going to do it from a different place. And doing that from a hopeful place versus a cynical place has a way different result. Going back to your book, The Other Side of Hope, 
what's very interesting about this book just as a whole and as an actual product is going back to the very beginning of this interview we talked about the flip side this book is an actual flip side of book yeah <laughs> yeah some people get confused I did an interview the other day and the guy's like I got a bad book so I'm going to contact your publisher <laughs> and I was like no flip it over read the other side he goes oh I get it so it takes a little while. It is literally like an upside down, flip it over, obviously to just kind of drive home that idea that we're talking about two sides. Uh, the other thing is that I love telling stories and I, you know, Jesus loved telling stories. I'm like a fellow storyteller and I learn more. I think stories are so much more complex uh, in terms of communicating truth differently. So if you like stories, start on the front side of the other side of hope, the picture side, that's the paintings, that's the stories of hope. And then when you flip it over, literally the cover looks like the back of a frame, like that art gallery. And the back side is, or the other side, is this framework conversation. So I explore a little bit more around cynicism and despair, where it might be, you know, have started, where it's kind of taking root in our own lives. And then some of the practices I've learned in my life to create a framework where I can be hopeful about the, the future. Yeah, you really live out uh, what you preach and advocate for. We've seen that play out uh, recently. Um, how, what do you say to people that that want to find that bravery to stand up, speak out, even when it costs them something, right? It might cost them a job or it might cost them a comfortable life. How do we take that step? And uh, I don't know. Yeah, just trust I guess, God in the process of standing up for what's right. Yeah, I think in the book, I talk about leading your life out of shalom, which is uh, it's a, a Hebrew word that means peace, but it means so much more than that. It means wholeness and connectedness. And to do that requires two shifts. One is to true humility, which is agreeing with God about who you are. And then the other one is true dependency, which is agreeing with God about who he is. And my suggestion is if you can figure out a way in your life to get to that center place of really agreeing with God about who you are, which is coming out of trying to prove anyone thing and coming out of trying to please anybody and just literally being aware of what God says and who God is for you. And then true dependency, which is God is at work. And when I say God is at work in this world, what I mean is that we get to join him in that work. And so this is God. So when we talk about telling the truth or like, you know, um, advocacy or joining our voices to a chorus of people who are standing up and telling the truth or showing us great courage. Um, I believe, at least in my life, God has led me here. Uh, this is not something that I'm like, oh, what could I do to really stir things up and cause like a lot of problems? You know, <laughs> this is like, I'm simply like, where's God at work? Where's he inviting me to join him? And then in this season of my life, I think I've got some true humility. At least I try and then every day I have to kind of readjust it based on circumstances usually. Um, but then to really depend on God, if this is God at work, if he's asking me, calling me, then I need to depend on him. And that's going to be costly, but it's going to be worth it because what is it going to do? It's going to grow my faith. It's going to grow my hope. It's going to grow my love. And what I've discovered even in my own journey, and it's sort of around abuse in the church and stuff, I've actually never been more hopeful about the future of the church now, I've never been more convinced it's going to look way different than it does right now. But also, I've never been more hopeful about it. I just I'm so hopeful, which is bizarre. You would think in the midst of all the stuff I've been involved in, I would be despairing about the church. But the, I think the reason I'm not despairing about the church is because I'm seeing God at work in this moment. 
and trying yeah. to partner with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've I been mean, getting because we cover Christian news at our stations, right? And we've been getting yeah, a lot yeah. of comments and a lot of despair and what's going on and um, why are you reporting this often, right? Why are you gossiping? And like, no, this is the best thing ever because a lot of stuff is finally coming to light that's been in the dark for so long in the yes. church. And God is doing something new. We're getting rid of bad, um, bad ways of doing church leadership and things like that, right? And yeah, there's going to be something new. Because mm-hmm. our hope is in God, right? Our yeah. hope, the church is the body of Christ. I mean, we're, yeah. I, I felt like even in the season of this where I was just like, <gasps> you know, this is going to be terrible. I just felt like God's like, uh, actually, I got it. <laughs> Like the Christian church has been through a fair bit, you know, like right. the Western, you know, mostly white men leaders are not going to destroy the church. Like, right. So there's also a right sizing. I think that happens in true humility and a hopefulness that God is at work and are, you know, and again, this is where we don't have to be afraid to tell the truth. There is no hope is honest. That's what it is. And when hope gets dishonest, it's no longer hope. There's yeah. no eternal quality. There's no change there. There's no possible future there. Uh, there's damage control. There's reputational. There's like marketing. I'm sure there's brand management, but there's no actual living eternal quality of change there. The only place that is, is in hope, faith, and love. Yeah. Wow. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'll build my church on the rock and the gates of hell won't prevail. We should trust right. him. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. For those interested in finding out more about you, you've also not on top of your book, you've got a podcast as well. Mm-hmm. How can people learn about your book, learn about you and learn about that podcast? Yeah, the easiest place to go is just daniellestrickland.com. Um, and then there, that'll direct you to all the various things. There's a bunch of things. The podcast is called The Right Side Up with Danielle Strickland. So you can just Google that where podcasts are. We're going to do a new uh, season coming up. We just did a season on The Right Side of Hope. Uh, looking at all the four gospel, uh, Jesus cleansing the temple, flipping over. So flipping over the tables. And we just talked about all the different angles of what he was trying to do to, to bring hope uh, to people in his day. So that's kind of a really fun, just a quick series on the other side of hope. But the new uh, season coming up, we're, we're really, I'm talking about all the things I can't live with around clergy sexual abuse. So it's just going to be a bit more cathartic learning together and just a a sharing of of all the things I've journeyed through. It'll be powerful. Thank you so much for making time for us. You got it. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.